You are Locked On Indians, your daily Cleveland Indians podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, and welcome again to another episode of Locked On Indians. I'm your host, Jeff Ellis of 24-7 Sports. On today's show, um, you know, the Indians didn't play today. The Indians haven't made a move today. Almost no one has made a move today. Uh, it's been a very quiet uh Monday in the baseball world. Uh, I mean, the Jason Vargas from the Mets to the Phillies trade, most interesting one of the day, likely. Um, The only other one that really stood out was uh, the Brewers acquiring Jordan Lyles from the Pirates. So I'll just do a quick rundown on those because they really don't uh, need more than that. Uh, The Phillies get Jason Vargas. They give up a 26-year-old catcher in AA from the Ivy League who has really struggled this year. So they traded a non-prospect. Um, the Philly, the Philly, the Mets are picking up a large chunk of that money, but essentially this deal is all about the Mets saving $2 million. Uh, they didn't need Vargas after the Stroman deal. Now, yes, Vargas has some, the, some of the lowest velocity in baseball. He has the lowest velocity in baseball, I believe. But he has also some of the lowest exit velocity, and he gets by. Uh, is he a great pitcher? No. Is he a number five? Absolutely. And the Phillies need depth. He is a, a depth arm, and they got him for basically picking up part of the tab on Vargas's contract. That's a great deal for them. They fill a need, and they really don't give up anything. Um, that's a deal you should make every single day of the week. They still could use some front-end pitching help, don't get me wrong, but uh, as a small deal, again, it's a it's a clear win for them. For the Mets, I mean, uh, the Wilpons save money again, which is what they love to do. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it, the Mets don't really get anything from this deal out of a little bit of monetary savings. The Jordan-Lyles deal, on the other hand, um, both teams gain a benefit from this one. Uh, Jordan Lyles is, again, a back-end starter. He's, uh, you know, there's some good things there in walk rate and strikeout rate, but there's also some some bad. The Brewers have no starting pitching depth, so that's easy for them to uh, to find a spot for Lyles. He'll f- go right into the rotation. And the cost was Cody Ponce, who a few years ago was viewed as a potential first-rounder. Um, he's a small school guy. This year, he has uh, transitioned into the bullpen role full-time, and he's missing bats, and he has a low walk rate, and I think he will make it to the majors as a reliever at some point for the Pirates. Pirates do really well with these type of arms, these uh, conversion players, and it's a good get for Lyles. And, you know, the the Brewers gave up some value, but not a ton. They didn't give up a top 20 prospect. But they gave a potential major leaguer, and the Pirates get something for a player who was average. Uh, and those are the two biggest deals uh, we have at this point. That is how slow things have been at this deadline. Um, you know, we had the Stroman blockbuster, but since then there just hasn't been, you know, there, there hasn't been anything. Uh yeah, I was just looking to see if any updates on uh, MLB trade rumors, but there hasn't been. Uh, outside of this, it's just like Dodgers signed Tyler Thornburg. Uh, 
Braves could add an outfielder. It's it is a slow, slow deadline. But we only have two shows left before the trade deadline, and you know it's a uh, it's something that uh, as an Indians fan you are very likely very keyed into because they are a a weird chimera of buyer and seller. Um, they they're a team that is in the wild card hunt and in their division hunt, but it's a team that is slowly coming together. The, the question marks are there and the best way they could help the offense would be to move Trevor Bauer of course that also then puts a massive strain on your pitching staff um, there's not a really a clear what they will do here um, I think part of the Indians issue is the fear that they could be left holding the bag with Bauer this offseason as it were uh, he could end up being the highest played player on the Indians at the end of this arbitration and he has not pitched like one of the highest played players on a baseball team uh, his one really great value really inflated his value for the arbitration process and I still think there's a good chance Bauer gets moved um, I said it online he's not going to the Yankees I see so many tweets about you know Bauer to the Yankees mostly from Yankees fans, and like, well, Clint Frazier and Michael Anduar. Boom, let's get it done. My response is, look at Michael Anduar's uh, stats. He struck out a lot, and he didn't walk much. His bat pip was about, uh, if you're not familiar with that, that's a batting average of balls put in play. The The average score, I believe, is like a 290, and he had like a 320 last year. So on top of that, he's in for some massive decline in terms of uh he was lucky last year uh some players do just uh seem to be more lucky than others but those are typically speed guys that is not Anjuar, and he's also not a good defender at third he's a first baseman long term and he's hurt so that's a, that's a lot of red flags on him clint frazier um i mean i loved him when he was a prospect in the minors here but he is really not developed with the yankees you look at his numbers, like he has good numbers this year. He has an even smaller walk rate, uh, an even higher strikeout rate than Andrew R. And I mean, his bat pip is 340. It's obscene. Uh, he is in for monster regression. He's just not selective enough. I don't think that he is an everyday outfielder. Um, what we have seen in the majors, and I mean, just from the perspective of you know, seeing him in double A, this is a player who got annoyed about the amount of media in Akron, not wanting to talk to the four people who are part of the media contingent who would come down after a game, uh, requesting like a week or two off from that at points. And, and I'll tell you, we never went to the same person really in back-to-back games unless they did something phenomenal. You're trying to shake things up just for the sake of your article because you don't want to write about the same guy multiple days in a row. So that's always kind of been a story I tell about Frazier where if he's that annoyed dealing with it at that level, I can't even imagine what it's like in New York. But again, it's not even about that. I mean, it's just kind of an interesting side story. It's about the fact that the numbers aren't as good as they seem. His, he did such a good job in the Cleveland system, uh, in Lynchburg and Akron, of being smarter at the plate being more patient, cutting down on walks, increasing 
or cutting down on strikeouts, increasing his walk rate. And that's really what elevated him as a top prospect. Since he's left Cleveland, he is trying to swing for the fences and power his way into a starting position in New York. And I think that makes him a less effective hitter. So Frazier and Andrew are for Bauer to be a hard no, hard pass for me. And that's what it, uh, essentially what it comes down to with the Yankees is, okay, so those are the two big names. Their number one prospect, Debbie Garcia, is, he's 20 years old in AAA, and that's fantastic. He's also five foot nine, maybe five foot ten, and has some control problems. So the number one prospect is a little overhyped. Yes, he throws really hard, but control problems, especially for a guy on the cusp of the majors, is an issue. Um, size is always going to be a concern, especially when a player is that diminutive. The Yankees' uh, other big name prospect is the uh, the player they signed this year out of uh, in the international market that everyone made that huge deal about. And I just go ahead and point out again that the last time I had this many people giving me hyped reports on a on a player, it was Kevin Metien when the Braves signed him. So, I mean, maybe Jason Dominguez will be somebody different. But at the end of the day, it's a risk. Yes, there's a high ceiling, but a 16-and-a-half-year-old, I mean, he's not going to be used as a trade asset. So who's next? Estevan Florial, who's not playing well. We're all repeating high A. He has been in high A. He has he has not left. He's been in A ball for the last three years. Um, he's not a top 100 prospect anymore. So then you go down. Jonathan Loisigia. He was always viewed as kind of more of a maybe a reliever, back end guy. It just it's not a. And then after them, you you go down and it's. You know, it's it's a real big descent at that point before you get to the the Alcantaras and the Cabelas and the Pereiras. And, I mean, I really liked Anthony Sigler when they drafted him um, and Clark Schmidt before his injury. But I I don't... Those aren't centerpieces. Those are, at this point, more like second or third pieces. Um, Sigler is walking a lot in... uh, in a ball, but he's also hitting a buck seventy-five with no power. Um, you know his his trade value isn't really there. Clark Schmidt has had a lot of trade uh, chatter talk, and you know here's a college pitcher out of Clemson, a big uh, uh, a big name prospect, taken in 2017. So that's you know two and a half years, and yes, he missed all of 17. He came back in 2018 and pitched. Um, really quickly here, pitched in eight games. So, and then this year he has been in high A and he's pitched in uh, eleven games, and he's been good. Not necessarily great. He's been good, but a, a player with his pedigree. I mean, he's old for the level, and he has a high ped. Like he's just, and he's again, he's undersized. And while I, as an evaluator, often don't get as worked up on size, it does hurt value. When you try to make a deal amongst teams, if someone is undersized, that comes up. That dings someone, and that's an issue. So the Yankees are a a bottom five system to me right now. 
Um, they've really gotten picked over over the years. A lot of promotions and a lot of players who just couldn't get it together. Um, you know, they traded away pieces, but, you know, I was huge on Chance Adams, and that hasn't worked out. Um, I'm trying to remember the shortstop. Was it Tyler Wade was the one, or is that the one they traded to Oakland? But the long and short of it is, if the Indians are going to be uh, sellers, just a, the Yankees are not not a work. It's not a fit. It's not going to happen. The The tweet I said was, unless the Indians get Glybar Torres, there is not going to be a trade for Bauer to the Yankees, and I'll stand by that at this point. So Blue Chew is back as a sponsor. Um, they were our first sponsor, and that is always something I appreciate about Blue Chew. It is the same active ingredients as um, you know Viagra and Cialis, but since it's a chewable, it gets to your bloodstream quicker and makes you ready to go quicker. So if you've ever been curious about a little blue pill and you want to give it a whirl, remember, you can go over to Blue Chew, use the promo code LOCKEDON, and you just have to pay the 5 bucks for shipping. So you're going to get to... Try this out. Discreetly gets mailed to your home, and it costs you just 5 bucks. So remember, it's bluechew.com, promo code locked on. So we have some exciting news on the uh, the Locked On NFL podcast that uh, you should make sure to listen to the new Locked On NFL with expert analysis from former scout and from former NFL scout Matt Williamson. I believe also used to be on ESPN. I think I read a lot of his analysis there. He's really good and hosted by Brian Peacock. Locked on NFL is your daily national podcast on all things NFL with Matt's unique take on the game. Uh, the, the Indians are fighting for a division lead and uh, the Browns get more media attention right now. So if you want to hear about football, uh, I mean, I read uh, every few days about training camps. I don't read every days, but Locked On NFL Podcast, it's going to give you that kind of macro view, whereas, you know, this is a micro view. I'm just looking at the Indians. Locked On NFL gives you that macro view of the entire NFL. And this changed in the past few weeks, so it's a really exciting addition to our network. So I kind of debated what to do for the second half of this show um, with no game and the Indians not doing anything and baseball in general not doing anything. Um, I thought about, you know, do we do a minor league review? It's been a while. And I thought instead we'll just look at the Indians as potential buyers. At this point, I feel like I've done the seller's piece to death. They're not going to trade hand. If they trade Bauer, look at Milwaukee. Look at St. Louis. Maybe look at the Washington Nationals, who just had to put Scherzer on the DL. Look at the Atlanta Braves. That's going to be it. Um, I don't see an AL one. So let's look at buyers. There's been a a recent consensus that uh, Trey Mancini is a guy who could be on the market. And this intrigues me for the fact that, you know, Mancini is a big, proven bat with multiple years of control. He is a butcher in the field. He probably should just get stuck at DH and left there. And the Indians currently have an opening at DH. Uh, Mancini was never a top prospect, never made a top 100 list, never was higher than fifth rated in the Orioles system. And I've been kind of brutal of late on Notre Dame. And Mancini played pretty well in his years and he played very well in his years at Notre Dame. Uh, His power though was just a little inconsistent 
But uh, I made the statement that there was a point in time there where you could do really well drafting Notre Dame bats later because you knew they weren't developed properly and there could be more there. Mancini being one, of course, him being a first base only prospect hurt. And um, Kevin Biggio, another example. Now, Baltimore's played him in the outfield. And again, he is not good there. But when you look at his minor, or yeah, his major league numbers, it's a he's a player who walks some. His strikeout rate for a power hitter is, or strikeout percentage, I should say, is only about twenty three percent, which isn't that high for a power hitter in the majors right now. And he's hit. Okay, so he debuted in twenty sixteen, didn't play much. Twenty seventeen, twenty four home runs. Twenty eighteen, twenty four home runs. Twenty nineteen. 24 home runs so he's been really consistent with power production uh over 20 doubles every year again maybe you'd like to see him walk more you know last year he was uh it was a little bit down and maybe he's going to be an odd even guy like ryan rayburn but he uh he just produces and that's just kind of the end of the day with with mancini he is an offensive bat um, I know fans would like the fact he's right-handed. I think that's a little overblown with the Indians right now. Uh, but, yeah, he's a right-handed bat with a lot of years of control left. Three years, to be exact. Which, again, sets him up as the type of guy the Indians might be willing to pay a bit more for. So when you look at the Indians' minors, um, I don't think Nolan Jones is someone they're going to look to move. I'm sure Baltimore would come asking about George Valera, but maybe you can make a deal work where it's Brian Ocasio and Tristan McKenzie, where Baltimore takes the risk on a McKenzie. Uh, they get the up-the-middle, um, high-upside player. Those uh, unfan graphs, those two guys are both listed amongst their top 100 prospects. It is uh, also, you know, they came from the Houston analytical approach. So if I'm just... You know, you want to look through and also consider for a third piece, maybe a guy who is um, production over tools. So, you know, maybe they would want Bobby Bradley. I, I mean, I, I don't think Bobby Bradley is a is highly rated as a, as a lot of fans have him. Um, but uh, he could maybe make sense because the high production. Jose Fermin would be a name to watch. Doesn't get a lot of run, but is uh, really producing for his age relative to level. But yeah, I, Mancini is kind of the pie in the sky at this point for the Indians. Another name that keeps coming up is Domingo Santana. He has one less year of control than uh, Mancini. He is a... Uh, you have him for this year, next year, and the year after. So two and a half years. He is 26 years of age. He uh, you know, he hit 26 home runs in 2015, then 11 in 2016, then 30 in 2017. 2018, he hit 5. 2019, he's at 20. So he's been really up and down. He currently leads baseball in strikeouts. Um, he's like a 260 hitter with 30 home run potential. Another right-handed bat, big guy, is going to strike out a lot. Also, really bad defender. So again, if you're getting him, the best thing you can do is probably make him your DH full-time. He makes sense from the Indians' perspective as a, he's a non-rental. You know, if you're going to give up value, 
you want to get that guy who isn't a rental. Um, I'll be curious to see what Seattle does. You know, they started out so well and have really started to, to fall apart. Um, Mitch Hanger is having a down year and he's currently hurt, or that would be another name to uh, to really look at and consider. But the question then becomes, Santana has not been as good as a Mancini, nor do you have as much control as you do with Mancini. I do think that you could probably get a deal to, together for him around Tristan McKenzie. Even though McKenzie's hurt, there's a lot of value in a guy like him who um, has been effective and a team is going to feel like they're buying low on a potential starter. Uh, Seattle has acquired a lot of arms. So maybe you can make something work there um, with McKenzie as your centerpiece for uh, San uh, Domingo Santana. That might be a bit much. Uh, the problem for me, at least with the Indian system, is you know I, I go Nolan Jones, Tyler Freeman, George Valera, and then it's like, uh, and then in that next group, it's you know it's McKenzie and Hankins. I don't know. And then it's like after those two, it's another gap. And then you have like Naylor and Dan Johnson and Yu Chen Chang. So it's, uh, you know, it, it it's hard to figure out exactly where on those scales what you would trade. I mean, maybe Bo Naylor's the piece that uh, Seattle would want. They don't have... Um, it's a team that feels like they've been trying to uh, land a catcher for years. And Naylor, after a rough start, has played a lot better as a 19-year-old in, in high A. But he could be a piece. It's like maybe it's him. and Or maybe you can use a, a Sam Henkes, who is a power throw on lefty whose value is down. But maybe you can then pair him with um, you know, Carlos Vargas, who people adored but has been really... Uh, not good. <laughs> and so two pitchers with big velocity, good stuff. Um, guys that coaches always think they can fix. You know, it's it's a catnip for coaching. Like, oh, if we figure that, that... My first example, and the guy I always think about is Daniel Cabrera, who pitched a while with the Orioles, where it's always like, if he gets it all together, he's going to be an all-star pitcher. He never got it all together. Um, but every coach thinks they can fix every player, uh, and you want them to think that for the most part. But... You know, Santana could be one of those things where, unless the Rays really drive up the price, he, you know, he's not going to cost as much. And that might make him the better alternative. Mancini is the better player, and you have him for longer of control. Santana has been really inconsistent, and that is why he has been traded around a bunch. Um, and that drives down his value. He doesn't have as much control. Um, you know, the fact he's leading the league in strikeouts is also going to hurt his value. There's things like that. That might make him make more sense. You know, we've talked about the pure rentals like Puig and Dickerson um, off the top of my head. And I'm afraid Castellanos. But if the Indians are looking for that non-rental, right now it's the, the guys that make the most sense are Santana and Mancini. And they would just slot in as the Indians' full-time DH going forward if they could acquire either of them. I want to thank you all for listening. Um, numbers continue to go up, up, up. Um, from the personal perspective, uh, 
it was the the best we've had on the uh, the business side of things by far of any month so thank you again all for that um you've made me make more of my focus on the podcast than the writing because i'm able to earn just about as much right now from the podcast so that's that's fantastic thank you um no one's getting rich here but i appreciate everyone who is helping our this little podcast grow and remember hopefully this deadline will get more interesting and as always go tribe